0: everybody. This is Charles Hain, coming to you for the No Film School podcast for the week of September 14th. We're recording on September 11th, never forget. And I am here with Gigi Hawkins. Hello. A filmmaker and a screenwriter and an extraordinary person, Jason Hellerman.
1: Good morning. Truly
2: extraordinary.
0: <laughs> and we are today, the first thing we're talking about is The Strike. Obviously, we don't want to talk about The Strike without new things to talk about, but there are new things to talk about that I think are both relevant for people at the high level, but also great lessons for people at every level that are going on with the strike right now. And then we're gonna talk about managing a longer production. Uh, A lot of us work on, you know, shorts with like three day shoots, but there's all sorts of other strategies when you finally book that job where you're like, ooh, we're gonna be shooting for like five weeks or six Mm -hmm. weeks or a bigger thing. There's different animals, there's different things to think about. And that is what we're gonna be thinking about this week on the No Film School Podcast.
1: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member
0: FDSE. All right, first up, Jason. Do you want to give us some updates on on uh, the latest moves in the strike?
1: Yeah, the strike's still happening. <laughs> One of these weeks, we're going to record, and I'm going to say it's over. You know, I'm. I you know, I always am excited to be out on the line, but I think it's going to be a real party the day it's over. So I encourage everybody to be out there because if you're there for the party, uh, you know, take all the credit. It'd Be very fun. But to the strike update is twofold, right? So we've been talking a lot about um, negotiations, right? So the WGA and the AMPTP came together at the beginning of August to start talking. And those negotiations have basically been going back and forth up until around August 11th. (laughs) So one month ago today, that's when they sort of started, I don't want to say dying, but uh, let's say faltering, right? So The WGA got an offer from the AMPTP. We replied, I believe, August 15th. Then we each went back and forth on AI descriptors, right? So that's a big thing we talked about in this podcast. I don't have any details of what um, they talked about in terms of AI, but the WGA wanted a little bit more fine-tuning in the language in the AI part of the contract just to make sure uh, humans always were getting the jobs and getting paid for our work as original ideas and not finishing AI stuff. Then they went back and forth a little bit just on other fine tunes. Then on the 22nd, the AMPTP called the WGA Negotiating Committee into a room to what they thought was negotiate. And instead, it was filled with the CEOs of these big companies who then berated them for not taking their first offer. And since then, it's sort of been radio silence. Each side has come out in the news and talked about who owes who a phone call. It does seem like both of them have decided that they owe each other and you know, the WGA stances, we were the last ones to make an offer and we're not going to negotiate with ourselves. So come back to us with a real one. In the meantime, on Friday, the WGA said, look, it's obvious that the AMPTP is dealing with an internal battle. And what I mean by that is the AMPTP has these legacy studios, Universal, Fox, Sony, Disney, Warner Brothers, Paramount. They are all... Of the old guard, right, and all of their stock prices are down. I can get to exact numbers. What will someone else talk in a second here, but like their stocks are down. Then you have the Netflix, Amazon, and Apple places. Two of, two out of those three don't even really make the most money from their movies, right? They make stuff from shipping or from the computers we're all talking on right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Netflix has uh, ten you know ten year head start on every other streamer and is thriving globally. Their stocks are all up. So you have these this dichotomy of different people. So what the WJ said was. Hey, why don't we do what like what we did with the agents? Why don't we just start talking to you guys one by one and cutting our own deals? Because obviously you have different interests, and if we can't get you to unite and come together to make us real offers, then maybe we should go individually. Now the A&P TV didn't like that; they released their own thing later that Friday night. They basically said we're united. Don't worry about us, you know all of the all of the things. And then at like three in the morning, I think Saturday. Saturday night, the editor of Deadline (laughs) basically had like a snarky tweet that was like, "If you're so united, why did you have to, you know, send a press release about it at 8 p.m. on a Friday?" And I thought that was a very hilariously timed tweet. 3 a.m. to me is wine o'clock. You know, that's where (laughs) if you're if you're awake, hopefully something good's happening. But that's the update, right? The update is everyone's trying to encourage talking. We might just start talking to individual studios, and I'll say there the precedent here is I don't know if you guys remember a couple years ago. We started talking to all the agencies in town about packaging and you know what mm-hmm. was a fiduciary duty and all these sort of big words we don't have to rehash. But what happened in that negotiation was over the course of a year, the WGA settled with each talent agency on individual terms. I think starting with Verve and then, you know, everyone else falling in a line with and they used those precedents they set with Verve to then mm-hmm. negotiate with these other talent agencies about how packaging would work, you know, how they would be paying themselves, et cetera. So there is some precedent there. I can be ATP in a different way, said that there might be some bylaws that doesn't let them do that. But that also kind of felt like it was just generic jargon in their press release. So a lot of it's back and forth right now. You know, I've, I still maintain hope that because we're negotiating, this is hopefully, you know, working its way towards the end. But it's a pretty interesting update, especially, you know, if you're the studio, let's say you're Sony, who doesn't have a streaming service, who could just sign this deal tomorrow you could suddenly have an influx of projects from the most famous people <laughs> you know or the biggest people in hollywood who all want to get back to work so you know i think there's a lot yeah.
0: of uh, rewards there as well i also think there's like there's a huge amount of lessons here that everybody should always remember one of which being there's a human instinct we all have to simplify negotiations where we all think to ourselves and like this is just a very natural person thing we're like okay So I'm negotiating on moving into this apartment. So I want to negotiate, like I want to figure out like the number of parking spots or whatever. So I'm only worried about price. There's this human thing of like, let's get it down to one term and then fight over the term. The truth of the matter is experienced negotiators like to negotiate on as many terms as possible Mm -hmm. and try and exhaust their opponents. And, And it's an interesting thing to remember that in this moment here, like trying to split up your opponents is good strategy. And you can try and make it a bad PR thing or the MPTP could be like, we're unified, but like clearly they're not unified. When when you have to publicly be like, we're unified.
2: We're, we're unified. So unified.
0: Our marriage is in great shape. We're fine. I don't what know what about? those photos are about. We are like, yeah, we're we gonna, we're gonna have a yeah, we we're gonna have other. another wedding ceremony. That's how much we love each other. We're gonna do it again. Reconfirm the vows. And, you know, you want to you want to keep people on their back foot. And I think it is really smart for the unions to be like, actually, you guys clearly don't have the same incentives. Yeah. You know, obviously. Yeah. Oh, go ahead.
1: I I have the exact stock stuff. This is from last week. So this is as of September 5th. Amazon stock was up 35 percent. Netflix up 35 percent. Apple up 35 percent. Comcast up 10 percent. Now you get to the legacy studios. Paramount down 42%, Disney down 20, oh. Warner Brothers Discovery down 13, Sony down seven. So it, it is, you know, a strike, you know, a stark contrast between these. And I think just going off of these hit trials, it's like if you don't have a vested interest together, then you're we're going to have to find ways, you know, to work separately. Because I don't think any of these studios want the consequence of this strike to be that they go out of business. You know, I think no. we we read plenty of what they think of the rest of the the world, but you know, I think if I'm if my stock was down 42 percent, I might be taking some back channel phone calls, you know.
0: Well, the thing to remember here is it's a, it's not just about like, you know, despite what Mitt Romney says of corporations are people, my friend, the truth is, is that they're not actually people. Warner Brothers is not people. It's executives and the executives work for the stockholders. Mm-hmm. So if you are a, uh, an executive at Paramount, you know, you're not. You are worrying about the stock price of Paramount to the extent to which the stockholders of Paramount can fire you for not properly, you know, the board of directors who represent the stockholders can say you are not properly representing our interests. It is our job to represent the business and human being, you know, even if it was in the long-term interest of Paramount to hold out on the strike and hold out, which I don't think it is. I actually think it would be better for Paramount to be like, we're never going to touch AI. I think it's like, I think what the writers are asking for and the actors are very reasonable. Even if it was in the long-term interest of Paramount, in this specific instance, it's not in the executive's long-term interest to hold out that much longer because the increasing likelihood is the exec- some executives will get fired by boards mm-hmm. over this. Yeah. And if you are an executive at a studio watching your stock tank, you are way more incentivized Absolutely. to try and figure this out than necessarily Paramount as a, like, as an abstract entity might be. Paramount as an abstract entity might want to hold out because Paramount is like, nah, I don't like writers because you guys always drive past me. I'm picturing that the Paramount lot is like, Uh you know, but like, yeah, but the executive, (laughs) the executives in charge of Paramount right now would like to keep their jobs, I assume. Yeah. And so they are, you know, it's, it's uh, packing and cracking, right? Like it's time to split them up. In terms of who is getting talked to about all of these things and based on who is getting talked to, like, you know, the moves that are being made downstream from that to try and get it to a reasonable place. And I think, you know, we'll get there as best we can. We'll do all of the things we can to to split up people and because that's how you do it.
2: It makes me also consider the idea of splitting up big tech from the, this industry that has existed and you know it's not it's not perfect but it is evolving slowly but surely I I believe to be better like we've only you know we're only a couple years out from like the IATSE upheaval and and I think that if there's a way to that splitting up can let the traditional studios be reinvigorated and maybe in a way have a fresh start to sort of like reset. In a way, that could be really interesting to see. And i I feel very strongly that we should take a stand against big tech that is pushing and hurting a lot of people. And so if it, i I really like this idea of of separating and working with companies as individually,
1: yeah, as we reach, you know, I think we're at day one thirty three now or one thirty five, the day we're recording oh it, you know, by the end of the week, we'll be closer to one forty you know, what What sucks the most, I think we we talk about, about writers being out of work and actors and these executives who are still collecting their weekly paychecks being there. But there's so many people out of work now in Los Angeles. I think mm-hmm. we're the it's $4.7 billion is what's going to affect the, how it's going to affect the economy and a loss of $4.7 just to California. And that doesn't count, you know, Atlanta, New York, you know, New Orleans, Michigan, all these places where production mm-hmm. happens and then globally as well, right? Like, If you're writing something like I was working on a movie that was supposed to shoot in Canada. I worked on, you know, like different places. There was I worked on a project that maybe was shooting in Estonia. You know, like these are things that would have brought jobs all over. We have Teamsters out of work, IATSE, you know, all the production people, cinematographers who weren't shooting things. Like the ripple effect is obviously grandiose and it it sucks. It breaks my heart to hear these people are out of work, to hear that they're also struggling. They're not getting paychecks. It's brutal. And, you know, it Mm -hmm. does frustrate me to no end when you have you know, these like, sort of catty emails the AMPTP sends. It's just like, just sit down and talk. You know, what are we doing? You know, like whatever your playbook is, just toss it out. Don't hire a new PR firm for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Just sit down and chat about it. I think last week, a big article came out. Warner Brothers has now lost, I think, like two times the amount of money that the writers wanted from every studio across one year. You know, it's just the feels like a <laughs> sort a- of, you know, rolling the rock uphill. But I hope yeah. there's an, an, an end Nearby, but I do think like breaking up big tech is a big part of it, right? It's like that sort of stubbornness or that you know unwillingness to see the human side of things. It's why we have to get these AI protections, and also why what we're creating matters so much. You know, like mm-hmm. I do think cinema and television is like human beings now first entry point to empathy. You know, like maybe you're getting bedtime stories, but most of the time you're watching a uh, Bluey or Coco Melon or whatever. Like it's your <laughs> these are your first the first way we steep our species and, you know, how to feel and think and act. And the more we can make the stuff and the more we can do, I do think it makes the world a better place. And I do think the industry is also changing and getting better with it. So i like to see it continue on and uh, people to be paid fairly to be working, you know, in what is a dream job. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, moving on, speaking of that dream job, you know, we're going to be talking about a couple, we're going to... There's a, one of us on this podcast is working on a project that we're going to be talking about quite a bit in a lot of different ways for a little while. It, <laughs> it's Gigi. I, Gigi is directing a project. Hi. That is a low budget, independent, non—I don't know where the union status like
2: total non-union, yeah. which um, yeah, small, I, <laughs>
0: small independent project.
2: It's yeah, indie as, micro budget in Panama, shooting in two weeks, which is. I can't believe that. I, I did have my first not fully sleepless night, but I got up in the middle of the night and sent text messages and emails at midnight and at 3 a.m. So it's it's happening.
0: I mean, we've all been there. <laughs> that is production for you. That's, that's real.
2: Which sort of brings me to what I'd love to talk about today, which is like sustaining yourself for production. It is you know, we're going to be down there prepping for a week and then shooting for 11 days. Well, we're shooting five days on, two days off, five days on, two days off, and then one day and then a wrap day. But this is a marathon for me because I've only shot shorts and sketches and it's max two days of shooting, but usually one. And mm-hmm. you two are the people that I turn to when I'm like, how do we do this? How have you done this? I mean, Charles, you've even shot a movie in Panama, so. How
1: how do you how do you last,
0: Jason? You want to go first? I have lots of thoughts, but I can also be patient.
1: Yeah, no, I think mental fortitude. It's funny. I remember when we shot Shovel Buddies, we shot all nights with kids in the valley in the summer. So you were hot at five pm and dying, and then by six am it was forty one degrees, and you <laughs> were you know drenched in your own sweat and shaking in front of a heater that looked like the Wally, you know, it's just like these big eyes that are red. Sustaining, I think is it's twofold, right? I could tell you like, just be positive every day and be happy and blah, blah. But you know, I do think at some point that's BS. Here is one thing I think kept me going the whole time. And it's so dumb, but every time we broke for lunch, you know, which is really dinner, whatever we like, our caterers had a different meal every night. So it was like, it's Chinese tonight. It's Mexican. Like it was very fun for that 22 day shoot just to eat, you know, and like things repeated, but like for the week, the block of the week, it was different. And I think that became really a camaraderie thing. And what I thought those directors did really well on that set was they sat with different people at lunch every day. So when you broke for that hour and change, you know, it was like, as long as they could spend with someone, they did. So it really felt like a familial thing where you're sitting with different people and, as a writer i tried to also mix it up and sit with different people so that was big um the other thing i think is just talking to everybody on set you know like the way to sustain morale is just to make everyone feel like they're all in it together cuz no matter what you're going to have bad days you know there's going it's going to rain or there's going to be a car accident not even involving your shoot and then suddenly the cameras are an hour behind you know like whatever it is like there's plenty of those things so it's just talking to everyone from the pAs on upwards so you do feel like hey like I know your name and I'm happy you're here and we're all in this and doing whatever. And and then I do think it's just making sure people are fed. It's like the most cliche thing I learned in film school, but I'll say like every set I've ever been on the times I've been most miserable are like, we're shooting a, you know, blank car commercial and there's no food here and we're all hungry and we're in the middle of the salt flats, you know, like no. uh, as long as there's snacks, people are usually pretty happy. And then it's getting sleep, you know, get as, get as much sleep as you can the next day, you know, fight ready in the morning, drink your coffee or whatever, get that night's rest. But those are the big things I think. Cause otherwise like everyone's going to handle themselves individually. But if you feel like the glue guy, we've talked about that a lot, you know, figure out who your glue guy is on our set. We had the the mayor, you know, he's the mayor. He's just going around glad handing, you know, someone who doesn't have something really important to do. That's sort of like keeping people in line. And with us, with kids, you know, it was like making sure the kids were always entertained. Hey, like, What rap songs do you like? You know, I mean, it was so stupid. I felt like such an old man, but it's like, like who are your favorite celebrities? Just like coming up with those what ifs, would you rathers are always very fun when you're killing time between setups. And it's like, well, how would your character react? Different prompts and stuff like that. So those are the biggest things. But food sneakily to me was always such a huge deal. It's like, oh, I can have a hot cup of coffee when it's cold. Great. And it's just there. There's a Slim Jim hanging out. I'll eat a Slim Jim, you know? So those are my, what do you got, Charles?
0: So I'll start with food cuz food is one of the ones that like I got the most like I think you can get the most bang for your buck out of food and there's a couple food trips you I mean first off yeah, yeah. working with your caterer so you're not repeating meals that often like you know you shouldn't be having the same like lunch break twice in one week like it should be a different thing on your 5 day rotation another trick that I picked up from a producer I worked with really early is constantly like figuring out one or two new snacks that can appear every day on the snack table. Because what happens is you walk past the snack table and you've already seen all those snacks like four times. But if there's a new snack, you're like, Ooh, there's a new snack. I'm literally, for, he, no one can see
1: me at home, but I am like fist pumping for that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just, I, that's my double down, 100% new snack.
0: But what a lot of people do is they buy like eight different snacks and then they put them all out on the table on day one. And I'm like, no, 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 you got to save some of those. Even if you've bought them all already, something showing up on day three that you didn't see for the last two days goes so far with Mm -hmm. morale. So I think that's like such a vital one that completely changes the dynamic of an ongoing shoot. There's a few other things I think are really important. One is thinking about what morale techniques you can build into the group. So obviously a long tradition of independent film sets is the call sheet quote of the day. So, you know, every day you're paying attention. You're trying to figure out what the quote of the day would be for the next day. And then somebody says something amazing. And you're like, that is tomorrow's quote of the day. And like making sure the second AD knows to put it on the call sheet for the next day. So everybody feels like that, you know, classic summer camp sense of camaraderie. I'm a big gambler. I don't like casinos, but I like to find random things to bet on. Uh So, you know, I I don't do it every day, but like, you know, end of the first week, like, all right, let's, let's all take over under bets. At lunch, on how heavy the camera is when it's all built up for handheld. And then sometime in the afternoon, we weigh it, and whoever won, you know, gets the pot that we all put in. There's a great Vanity Fair article. There's a card game that a lot of the big Hollywood sets play where, you know, you can bet on what card is going to be pulled out of a deck. And it's like a big, long standing tradition and stuff like that, where you come up with like little games that are relevant to what you're doing, where you can figure out, like, okay, on day five every week, we're going to have this bet that we all talk about all day and then we're going to pay it off at dinner that night where we weigh the camera or we see who can do like the little C-stand trick where you can open it and then you close it and you let it almost fall away. and stuff like that helps a lot. I think it's really important. It's great. You're taking a two day weekend. I think it is, if at all possible, good to plan one fun, non film related thing. Yeah. Like location shoots are tricky. You know, Obviously, domestic shoot, everybody's going home, and they're not going to see each other for two days. But like, you're in West Virginia, you're in Panama, you're in whatever. People are not going to have the time to plan something for themselves. So saying, all right, this afternoon, we're going to the Museum of see Culture. We're seeing this loss. We're going to the caves. You can go if you want. You don't have to go if you don't want. But we have organized a thing for you yeah, so that you don't feel like your day off is wasted. And also, usually that thing is away from base camp. And by yeah. leaving base camp for four hours it feels like a bigger day off. Whereas yeah. if you just piddle around base camp all day, relaxing and playing cards, like you don't quite get that break feeling you need.
2: Right, right.
0: So I think that's really important. My next question. So I, the, the project I worked on in Panama, I was the gaffer on. It's a long, long time ago, back when I was still gaffing quite a bit. We had an amazing fixer. Do you, you've already got your fixer secured, I'm assuming?
2: We've got a fixer.
0: So fixer for listeners who don't know, is a job, it's called fixer. And in every major market, there's someone called a fixer. And what they do is they help you navigate local production. So, you know, when you're in Panama and you're in international production, you hire a fixer and their job is to know all the rental houses and to know all the vendors and know all the crew and help you with locations. And it's a job, It like is a legit job and you are in trouble if you don't have one. Because outside of New York, LA, Atlanta, and London, film happens, but it happens on like all of these word of mouth relationships and connections. Yeah. And you need a fixer to know all the, the people you need to know, and they are worth their money. Um, absolutely. Usually the fixer is a good one for a day-off plan. They will usually know the day-off thing. Yeah.
2: I love that because you know, it's not. It's not a vacation, and no like it's a it's a time that people are working, but I do think the the weekend palette cleanser that also helps you know one is showing the beauty of this location that we're in, and two is something that can just like be sort of this you know getting out of the bubble that we're in again, it feels like a reset in a really nice way when when you guys are. You know, kicking off each day, like say you're on day nine of fifteen. What do you think is the best way for the director, the producer, the ad at the top of the day to sort of like set the tone for each day?
1: I always appreciate a good director speech on day one. You know what I mean? Hey, this is why we're here, right? Why we're here, kind of gather around, whatever. But I think if you make that speech twenty-two times. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it, it's it's less productive. So when it comes to the day, I think it's like our goal for the day is, you know what I mean? What's our goal for the day? And it, it it's it could be as simple as we need to shoot these three scenes or we need to shoot out, today we're going to wrap on the cabin, you know, like whatever it is. Like, I'll say like, you feel so accomplished when you're like, we're wrapping on Sammy's house today. And it's like, oh my God, we got done on an entire location. You know, now we're moving on in this, you know, and you feel that like, oh, that whole chunk of the story is done. You know, so I think it's like, set a goal and hopefully set a goal that, you know, you can meet, you know, like if you're Mm -hmm. like, "Ah, if we have an extra thing, maybe we're not wrapping a character. What if our goal is just to like shoot this campfire? You know what I mean? Like uh, our goal is to do whatever, like set accomplishable goals, but those are the big things. I think it's like, you don't have to make a a giant speech every day. You know, I I love a good kickoff speech and I love the thank you speech at the end. I always find it to be very emotional and whatever. And, you know, also make sure you announce the martini shots you know, like <laughs> when you're at like the last shot of the day sort of thing. Like I always find that to be like a huge morale booster. It's like, Hey, we're on the last shot. We're doing whatever. Mm-hmm. That, that's always a blast. But yeah, I think like a small, accomplishable goal for the day. And then just checking in with your major department heads. I mean, that's a big thing, you know, like what are the pages we're shooting? Like, are we all on the same, you know, page? Oh, you keep using the word page, you know, and, and with the actors, how are you doing mentally? Like, are you happy. Are you having an off day and you want to, you know, maybe we need to shoot some reverse mm-hmm. angles first before we get back into it, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it is. But yeah, I think just the big speech and then just the little mile markers make everyone just so much happier.
0: This is i uh, I'm, I'm going to share something I'm straight up stole from someone else. When I was in film school, Gary Fleeter, who is like a big TV director now, but also directed some indie movies in the nineties that were solid and like interesting guy, more known for TV these days. He came in And he said what he likes to do, and it's brilliant, and I try and do it when I can't. I haven't always been able to do it because it involves a lot of prep. But he makes a poster board every day of shoot that has a giant poster board that he stands on like an easel so everyone can see all of the shots and the plan for the day. Obviously, your plan's on the call sheet of what scenes you're going to get. But he likes to, as much as possible, put the storyboards up so everyone can see them. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he if he still does that. I mean, this was all pretty digital when I went to film school. But the nice thing about it is that He said, and I think it's right, is he's like, it lets everybody know the shape of the day. And it also gives people time to start thinking ahead in a different way. Like you can see something on the call sheet and say, oh, okay, that scene's coming later. But then when you see the boards, you're like, oh, I'm going to need to dress in that direction. Or, oh, I bet I'm going to have to rig a backlight over there. And then you can, everyone is sort of activated for thinking through the day. Mm -hmm. And their brain is processing better. It takes a lot of work. It's definitely something that like not every director does. And like when I directed my feature, I definitely didn't do that. We didn't have the bandwidth. It was, you know, scenes were moving day to day. Like this is something you get to do when you're a little bigger. But to the extent to which you can share a lot of your prep, you get to activate everyone's brain a little bit to help. You know, nothing is worse than when you're on that indie feature. I remember when I was a gaffer and you're on that indie feature and you, you know, the next scene on the call sheet, there's nothing indicating that you're like, oh, actually we're moving to the backyard for this. So okay. you're thinking we're in the living room all day, and it's just going to be a fun day in the living room. We've already and like if you you're at that point in the day where you're like, all right, if it's not playing, it's rapping, and then they're like, all right, well the next scene, now we're moving to the backyard, and you're, and you're like,
2: like, wait, what? <laughs> and you're
0: like, oh shit, I could have, guys, we have like three people, I could have been pre lighting that backyard for the last four hours on the call yeah. sheet. It doesn't, say, and but if we have boards, if we have prep, if we have that, everybody on the crew will start to try and get ahead of things, mm-hmm. and then. You you have one of those nice days where you feel like you're always landing right where you're supposed to be, where you're always like, oh, and they're waiting for us outside. We already have some lights roughed in and we'll do a rehearsal and then they'll final and like that kind of thing. And the more you can share with a whole team, the better. And yeah. obviously in an ideal scenario, you just as director need to share it to the VP and they can get their whole team going. But sometimes they're also swamped. So I do like the idea of like sharing more of the things as you can do it. The other thing to talk about is, is how you engage with the offsite team. Like I don't know. If you're all in one location in Panama, this is less than an issue. But usually when you're on a location job, there's where you're shooting. And then there's the next location, the botanical garden or the museum or the yeah. woods or whatever. And so there's an off-site team that's prepping that, like production management, producer, And for me, one of the things I always try and do is a morning meeting instead of a night meeting is I'm very burnt at the end of a night. I'm not a night owl. Once I've shot for 12 hours, my brain is not smart. So I always start the discipline of like, guys, we're all going to meet a half an hour before call each day. And if it's day one, we'll be talking about three, four, and five. We'll be planning ahead on that. When all of us are fresh and all of us can think. And a lot of people don't want to do it. They want to do the meeting at RAP. But I'm like, guys, at RAP. First off, if it's day one and we're wrapping, it's too late to fix any of the problems with day two. If it's right. like midnight, like, all right, so what what can we solve at midnight about the next day? Nothing. Yeah. Uh, so that is a discipline that I think is really worth pursuing, as hard as it is to get going on. Yeah,
2: I love that. I love that because then it allows people to be problem solving in real time as we're shooting, and that feels like a, just a very smart move for you know an ever-changing evolving nebulous thing that is shooting on film I want to hear your thoughts on set on 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 how you prefer set to be in terms of like do you like it when people are talking on set and that energy I took this class about budget producing through the Gotham and the producer slash director of a bunch of Microbudget Films said he really prefers a quiet set. And I was like, oh, that's interesting because I think it takes the pressure off of the actors and the people pleasers of the world like myself to be like on and in party hosting mode. But I was like, I don't, I'm I'm like that, that is something I haven't done yet. So I'm curious, like when you're actually shooting, how do you guys like to set the tone in that regard?
1: Great question. I've been on one quiet set. I'm sitting over here grinning. And it wasn't very fun, but it was a serious project. So like, maybe it wasn't supposed to be fun. I did think it was hard as the, you know, I'm usually the on guy, you know, like I do treat a lot of sets. Like I try to be the mayor. I try to go around glad hand everybody. You try to be the mayor from back to the future, not the mayor from Jaws, you know, but glad (laughs) glad hand everybody make, hear their issues. You know what I mean? Like find out how to sort things out, you know, like be the ear on the ground so that, and then take it to the department heads to get, you know, together or by yourself or be like, Hey, you know, like that, PA is at the end of the road and has been bored all day. Can we bring him on set for the afternoon and you know have someone else be back there? You know what I mean? Like that sort yeah. of thing. So I and I only have one experience with the quiet set. So I don't want to like let go too deep. I didn't have fun and I thought it was like harder on people because I felt like personalities were squashed. But I also have been on plenty of sets where people talking where you have to then be the dick sometimes, be like, yo, don't be talking now. You know what I mean? Like Or like, hey, we're trying to explain something and you have like the Christian Bale lights rigging thing, you know, where it's like, you're like, (laughs) just be quiet for a second. So I, I do think it's, it's the energy of the project too. You know, like I tend to just given my personality and the stuff I work on, work on mostly things that have like a comedic twinge, you know? So I do think like having those vibes up are good because if people are exercising that performance muscle, even if it's not just the actors, but everyone that like the laughs come in or like they can read the room a little bit better. So I, I do think it's like a little by little, you know, I would say like when people are setting up, if they're doing some work, they're setting up lights and they want to chat about their day. I, I think whatever the stress relief is, is great. You know, it's just, you know, when we start to shoot that scene, it, it should become a quiet set by accident, you know, like it yeah. unless it's a comedy and everyone laughs after the take, you know, or like has a suggestion or whatever, fine. But you no, know, I, I think it's finding that natural blend. I don't know if that helped at all. I just had such a bad experience with a quiet set, but it was like, also, gave me anxiety because I feel like such a performer that I'm like, if people are having a bad time, that I like want them to have a bad time. I had no idea how to do it quietly, but I do think that's like different personalities. Like, if I worked on Nomad Land, I don't think I'd be like cracking jokes in between, you know? So,
2: yeah, yeah.
0: I it's so funny because I hadn't, when you first asked the question, I was like, what do you mean quiet set? And I don't think I realized the extent to which, like, for me, and maybe it's just how I came up, but like sets are always quiet. Like, mm. It's just the world I guess I've come from, but like, like it's always like if you want to be chattery, you know, I, I worked a long time in commercials and we always very deliberately would have multiple video villages and you know, there's video village for the crew and that's like pleasantly quiet and people are focused and the gaffer and is whispering into microphone to talk to the bestie. And then there'd be video village for client, which is always further from set, always had better food. And like, Mm -hmm. they might chatter a lot, but I don't have to hear it or think about it or engage with it. And I guess a lot of that has also shown up in my feature work where just like, I don't know, they've they've always been relatively quiet. It's interesting. I haven't really, I honestly haven't heard this term, quiet set, because I always think of sets as being quiet. I had a friend who did a job in India. They still don't really roll sync sound as much. So... I have a friend, she came back from a job in India and she was like, oh yeah, the crew just talks while you're rolling because there's no quiet culture there wow. because they don't, they they dub all of the audio and post even on some big productions apparently. But yeah, I mean, I'm a very like, yeah, I mean, if it's a comedy, we should be able to make some jokes with each other. But it's always, there's always so many things we're, I've yet to work on a production where it didn't feel like we were trying to do slightly more than our resources. Mm-hmm. Like we're always like, Man, it'd be great if we were two pages a day, but we're at four pages a day. So there's like a very like, or like eight, although I haven't done eight pages in a long time, but like we've, I've, I have done an eight page day in my career. It was really hard. So there's always sort of a calm, quiet, like got to get things moving. We have things to do. We got to make sure this camera's set up. So I, yeah, man, I wonder about that. It is interesting also to think like, that is one of those interesting things about directing where so much resonates from just your energy as a person.
1: Yeah. I think. I I do I think it's funny, like you know, I watch a lot of master classes and the YouTubes and all the things. And uh I, I just you, know, you, you buy the sight and sound magazine and I want to hear how Scorsese does it and whatever. But I do think at the end of the day, it really is you. Like I work with this commercial director very frequently and he plays music as soon as the takes are done. You know what I mean? And he just has a speaker and it's just blasting like hardcore nineties rock. And it's it's a very different vibe than a different director I work with who, you know. There's no music, but there's a lot of like storytelling or like, uh, you know, you're setting stuff. up mean, like she's like, oh, Steve, tell us about that time you lit for Kubrick and on, you know, I'm <sighs> like, you know what I mean? It's like that sort of stuff. So I do think it's your different personality. And both of them are like highly successful and do whatever. And I work for this guy who does a t- bunch of comedy shorts. And like his is a very lively, goofy set where they like are pranking each other and doing whatever. But it like feeds directly into what they're doing. So I think at the end of the day, you know, we talk about like <laughs> was it like auteurs are, you know, you, you see a, v, a frame of the the f, their film and you know exactly who directed it. It's like, I wonder if it also applies to the set, you know? Like, I think like mm-hmm. Paul Feig wears a suit, you know? Spielberg's always in his hat and sunglasses, you know, whatever. I think there's like a live, like a different mood on everyone's set, how they want to behave and what they want to do. And you'll find your style and you'll work it out over a couple features. A lot of it is just like what makes you feel comfortable in the moment, you know? Like, as a yeah. people pleaser with a lot of anxieties, that way I do want everyone to at least have a little chatter. But I also think it's like important to quiet them down when when the real job happens, and some of that is just the glad handing. I feel like I do in between, you know. So right, you know, right. but it's it's all your personal preference. And again, it's like what gets you in the best creative space possible, or like you know makes everyone do it because other people might not like that. So
2: I do think that there's this patience and calm that I have at this age that I would not have had even two years ago um, that has permeated every element of this production. And, you know, we've had some like pretty devastating things happen very last minute, but we are like, we're still making something one step at a time. We will figure this out. And, and, and I think that that sort of like calm, warm, supportive environment is what I want to cultivate. And then occasionally we'll just bust up into giggles. Lots of, I, I do want there, I want it to be a place where like people feel like they can just that they're not gonna feel on edge, that they can, they can focus on what they're doing, but also enjoy each other's company. And that actually brings me to my final question, which is let's talk about maybe this shouldn't be the final question, but let's talk about like the hardest days on set. Like, what? How, how do you bounce back from exist in the moment on those days that when you look back on it, you're like, that was one of the hardest days of my life.
0: Oh, that's interesting. I don't, I don't know that set has ever been that because the nice thing about set is it never feels like you're alone trying to solve anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's always a team. And so like, some of the hardest days of my life are when I felt like, ooh, I have this problem, like in some business capacity where like, I, we, I, you know, like I feel like I need to fix it and I don't know how to fix it and I don't know who to help. But mm. like, you know, I, like I've definitely been on some shoots where things happened as they do because, you know was on a shoot that was plagued with like a swarm of bees and like, we've all gotten caught in the mud and we've all like, you know, things happen. You, you show up in a location is lost. You, you know, the actor hasn't appeared after spending all night in the casino, whatever, <laughs> like you, you know, you, but it's always, there's always so many of us who want to fix it. Yeah. <laughs> there's always a, like, all right, well, let's get in a huddle and let's start strategizing. Like what else can we shoot today and what else can we do? And, and I don't know. It's like the beauty of, Feels like Goethe's "Be Bold and Angels Will Come to Your Aid" thing, like, has overseen every set I've been on, where I'm like, we're boldly trying to tell some story and do something, and we are able to keep moving and do something because we have that behind us.
2: I love trying to think of what I was gonna say. I got chills. (laughs) I think I feel like that has been the ethos of this production. Like, I was like. I brought this team together and we're like let's do something ambitious and crazy like developing and raising money and being in production at the same time being in prep at the same time like that's not normal but I think we've just been being so bold and not letting there be ego in any way that like these magical things are happening like even last week I you know put out onto into the No Film School universe that we're looking for an airplane set and then somebody reached out and they're like, I know a guy. And like all these good things are coming to our, our side. And I think it's because we're like, we want to make something awesome, but we want to be with awesome people too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the No film Community is always very helpful, which is great. I could say like, I remember being on set, I remember being 4.30 in the morning when you're trying to get a tracking shot that was like a walk and talk. And it just wasn't working. And it wasn't working because I think At 4.30 in the morning, doing a walk and talk with like a long monologue isn't easy. You've been shooting for, you know, 10 hours, whatever. Everyone's been on set. It's tired. And it wound up just being one of those things where it was like, "Okay, writer, you put all these words in there. Could there be less? You know, and a lot of, you know, I distinctly remember sitting with the director and the cinematographer and being like, "Okay, well, like how long are you carrying this heavy rig? And how many words do we think we can get out? And it wound up being one of those things where it was like, actually this might be easier if we don't do this crazy walk and talk and we just put it on sticks and you do like a pan and it's just like a one word and we do a joke cutaway thing and I think like (laughs) those are the fun days you know that you look back and smile but in the moment was like oh but we need all this stuff it's the emotion and and just hearing from other people instead being like oh, I think they're gonna be upset already like if you can use this as a linchpin scene to turn a different emotion or instead of Make them cry. What if you could make them laugh here? Different stuff like that. Those sort of creative problem solves mm-hmm. wind up being the most fun. And I find that even in commercials or just shorts we're doing, I remember we were shooting something where it was like raining outside and we knew we couldn't get the final shot. It was supposed to be like, you're coming outside and everything was better. And I was like, well, what if you just for today shoot the alt ending where this character goes outside and it seems worse. And it wound up being the ending they kept because it was so funny of like, I struggled through everything. And you think they're gonna go outside to this like bright sunny day. And then like you go outside, it's just like raining, and like they got like a very fun thunder strike, you know, like right away, where it's just like the everyone jumped, you know, it's like that fun, sort of terrifying thing. So, like there are happy fixes in there, and you know, I just embrace the shots that come to you. You know, that's that's the big thing. And a lot of it is at the end of the day, it's not heart surgery, you know, <laughs> like the beeping on the table. I I think. Be as malleable in your story as you can. You know, like, uh, I feel, feel sacrilegious to say as a writer, but don't overcommit to what you put on the page because it's there. If it's impossible to get, just do something else. You know, I think no one in the audience is ever going to know what you didn't get. <laughs> I also believe in the power of the rough assembly. I've been shooting a lot with people who, and, and again, maybe more resources have outside editors that they're sending the dailies to who are putting stuff together and at the wrap, Everyone could literally watch a rough assembly of scenes or like if you shot a cool stunt. Oh, my gosh. I remember just like being at a Shovel Buddy's rap party and everyone passing around a phone because we had flipped a car and it was just like the video of the car. flip. You know, it's like stuff that nobody had really seen. You're there live. It's just like, isn't this cool? We flipped this car like that kind of stuff, I think, is always fun. But, but yeah, I don't know. I feel like I trailed off
0: there. But no, but the two things I would say to riff on that are one. The hardest times in my life on set have been when recognizing that someone had to go. Like all of these stories we're telling are about teams that are working in alignment with each other. So if Mm -hmm. a problem comes up, nobody's focused on blame and no one's focused on credit and no one's focused on like their like ego. And it's just like, let's fix it. And like the hardest times I've ever had on set are when someone in the team was not like for whatever reason they were like, obsessed with blaming or obsessed with avoiding responsibility or just like instead of pivoting to the solution, wanted to dwell in the problem and realizing that you had to get rid of those people. And that's been the hardest times on set where I'm like, ah, we got to fire you. This is not, this is not working. You are not helping on the team. And then the other thing is, yeah, like I really try and discourage small productions from trying to edit while they go because I've never seen it work on a small production. You never have the bandwidth or the energy. But I do think on a small production, it is always worth it to try and put together highlights for either Friday nights or the rap. Yeah. Because it is so satisfying to be like, oh, I'll spend an hour pulling out the coolest looking shit and set it to a fun song. And that's so great.
2: I love that. I love yeah. that.
0: But um, the the idea so many people have is I'll bring my editor and they'll just be cutting every day while we go. And then maybe they'll help with coverage decisions. That the resources you need to make that work, like that's big production stuff. Yeah. You, yeah. The indies never, ever make that work. And I've seen so many people waste time trying to get that work that bet, would have been better spent just focusing on the shoot. Someday.
1: Yeah. Someday. I mean, we yeah. talked like, leave the cameras roll. If you're shooting digital, leave them rolling as much as you can. Get as much B roll as Always you can. Always be
2: shooting. Yeah,
1: exactly. Always be shooting because that's how right. you get those extra things. It's not worth paying the editor. It's just, <laughs> shoot much more than you ever thought you needed. Yeah.
2: There was something yesterday I was sitting with my AD and producer and we were going over the schedule and we were like, always be shooting and always be, and it was something else with an S and I can't remember what it was, but I will report back. But I I do feel like so, in, I feel like there's this bubble of, or cocoon of people who are like thinking and watching out for this story and the project and that's such an awesome feeling. And I feel that with you guys too. Thank you so much for all this wonderful advice. I have a million post-its here (laughs) of things that I'm like, and then we'll do this and then we'll do this. And I hope my crew isn't listening, but I'm surprising them with survivor buffs, but it says out shoot, out act, out movie. I love that. And it has the title of our film on it. So that'll be, I think that'll be a middle of week two surprise so they can wear it around a couple of days.
0: What's a buff?
2: Oh, it's like Survivor a Survivor buff? Yeah. It's like a sort of like tube bandana that people wear on the show Survivor and you wear it as like a head thing or a tube top
1: or wrist We wrap. have a whole No Film School article about how much I love Survivor. And now I think it's like, if you have character problems, you just got to watch some episodes. I think it's such I'm not a good, even
2: kidding you. I did that. I did that. It made I mean, me, I, watching Survivor, because I was like, I can't watch anything narrative right now, reminded me that people can be mean.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
2: <laughs> and then I was like, I'm going to write a mean character because people are mean in real life sometimes. And yeah, brilliant. I have to watch read that article.
1: It's out I there. I
0: did not I know Survivor that Survivor happened. buffs existed. <laughs> and I have yet to see that show. <laughs> it's been on for a while. It'll so sneak sure up on you. Season 46 debuts at oh. the end of this month.
2: Start with the the Mike White season.
1: Oh yeah, good. Yeah, that's a- Oh, I, I love Mike White. Yeah. Me too. He's he has two seasons. His first season. Start with his first season.
2: His first season. So yeah. David v Goliath. Yeah. I watched it because I already finished The White Lotus and I was like I need I need more Mike White. And I actually think I learned a lot about directing watching him play on that. Season. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. There's a every lesson you want how to handle difficult people, how to diffuse a situation. It's all in Survivor and I, you know, I'm not a reality TV guy, but I just I think it's brilliant. And I also anytime I can't figure out a character motivation, if I watch one episode of Survivor, it will clear it up for you. Everyone has such clear cut narrative motivation in that show. It's, you know, I can't like there's no passive characters. They call them goats on the show if you're a passive character. But even they have like, you know, their eye on the prize. So
0: very interesting. All right. Last minute endorsement for Survivor there. Not (laughs) expecting that. We didn't do that in the intro. All right, everybody, well, we'll still have one more week with Gigi next week. So if you guys have questions for Gigi about her prep process for her feature in Panama, please hit them up and we'll answer them next week. And we will talk more about last minute prep for your feature and what you should do the night before you start shooting and all sorts of things and fun wrap party ideas. So that'll be next week and other things. I'm on the internet, sort of. I'm barely on the internet anymore. I'm basically just here.
2: Welcome to (laughs) your internet. I'm at Lost in Graceland across social media. And I have really loved all the supportive outreach from our listeners. Thank you. Like, it means so much to get your vote of confidence and your words of encouragement.
1: And I'm at Jason Hellerman across social media. uh, And you can email me, Jason at nofilmschool.com if you have questions or article ideas or, you know, want to say hello. You know, and happy to be here. And look, if you have survivor predictions, I'm all yours too. Yeah.